The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Hi, I'm Bruce Landsberg, and we're here at the Aero Club of New England's uh, 20th Crash Course. We're glad to have the listeners of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast join us tonight. <laughs> all right. All right, then. Apparently, we're going to have so, to talk. So we haven't started yet. Is that what you're saying, Jack? Oh, no, we haven't started just yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't started just yet. But uh, anyways, all right. But but we have started now. And let's talk about yeah. this first. Should I sing my song again? No, no, no. Please, no. no please, please don't. Please, please, no. All right, let's talk about this first. That way, if it just turns out to be a disaster, it's easy to cut out. All right? Jeb, you of all people being fascinated by ultralights, what's the story here? Which are we? Are we talking about this Mexico? Yes, thing? that's what we're talking about. We're going to give it a try. We'll see what happens. You said you took the link off of the. Wait, no, it's at the bottom. Now, scroll down. You'll see it. It's down there. All the way there? Under other. Or other. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, let me load the let me load the piece. Um, Could have put that uh, under three, C. Three ultralights recently have crashed uh, trying to sneak in um, from Mexico into the U.S. Um, all three of them carrying you know kilos of, of pot, and uh, one fatality, one critical injury, and one arrest. Um, now, what was the cause a, of the crashes? Do we know? Say again? What were the causes dumb, of the crashes? Dumb pilot syndrome. Well, well, low flying, night, overloaded, uh, and, and poorly trained. What do you expect is going to happen? Mm, DPS. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, of course, then they're trying to evade the log to, to get these things in. So um, life expectancy is low. Let's put it that way. But I just, I just saw this and was like, okay, well... Um, does this mean that I have to be inspected every time I fly by TSA or, or, or what? I, no, I don't. No, that, that would be the oh. DEA inspection for that one. Yeah, mm. yeah. that goes without um, saying, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's we still haven't taken a look at trains or or buses or anything else, and uh, uh, here we are trying to focus on on general aviation. It just yeah. doesn't make any according sense. According to local, according to local legend in this part of the world, there's two big highways for that distribution of that product yeah. uh, according to some law enforcement friends of mine and i-35 which runs you know from south texas all the way up to minneapolis uh is one of the majors and interstate yeah. 70 east and yeah. west through denver kansas city indianapolis is is another and, well, you know uh, it's interesting i remember i spent a lot of time um in in nebraska in uh late um, 89 and early 90 and some of that time was spent in Omaha and there was a huge um, problem I don't know how to describe it uh, just influx of um, aliens legal or illegal I don't know 
into uh, Omaha, and the whole the whole area was just up in arms about it. But it was right along that I thirty five corridor. Same thing. So this is the the modern day Underground Railroad is uh, yeah I thirty five. I just saw this story. It's, yeah, it's, well, apparently ultralights have reached the big time. That's what you're saying, right? They're now kind of uh, sort, kind of sort of yeah. Although you know, I, I I don't know what the average would be. You know, you you say for every three that get in, you know, X, three to three that don't get in, X number get in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I don't know what the ratio is. I don't know if this is a, a an efficient way to do it. I just found it an interesting well, use of ultralights. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to be able to find Mary Jane Eyre in the official airline guide. Yeah, I don't know. James, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, isn't this kind of uh, going to bother the FAA because ultralights are not really for commercial purposes? <laughs> you know, he's got a point. That's the well, you know, they, they, if if it was their personal aircraft and their personal <laughs> stash, that wouldn't be flying for hire. That would be perfectly legal from the Part 103 perspective. But I, I just knew we'd still, put our finger on this. Still, ha- still have this gross weight issue to deal with, and and of course, there's always the FAA's favorite 9113. There you go. <laughs> Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 125 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. This is the Up, Up, and Away episode. That's right, yeah. Flying high. Uh, We're recording this episode on uh, Thursday evening, March 12th, 2009. And uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices out there is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing good, actually. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, much more relaxed than I have been lately. Um, at the end of my magazine cycle, uh huh. Yeah, I can you know kind of take a deep breath and and. It's <clears throat> no longer that time of his month. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you've been up to no good, and I want to talk to you about this in a couple minutes here. But uh, okay. first of all, let me say to uh, say hi to another friend in their hangar, and that's Dave yeah. Bigden. Yeah. Yeah. Am I being up to no good surprises you? No, 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 but a particular kind of no good. Uh, <laughs> Dave Higdon's out there. He's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you? Lovely. Just ducky and lovely. I feel like a grumman, an amphib, amphib happy, duck wet, and, uh, and, and, and ready. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We David, look- you still there? Ready. Ready That's right. He'll be back. Uh, sorry, I said, yeah, if I feel good, I'm ready to blast off. I'd like a... Like a grumman on water. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, David, I, as far as I know, and for all I know, you've been up to no good, too, but I believe it's you and me against the rest of them, okay? Uh, <laughs> the third friend I have in the virtual hangar with me this evening is uh, James Winbrandt, who hasn't been around for a while, but uh, is back with us tonight and is talking to us from his uh, winter quarters in St. Augustine, Florida. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, good. So what's up in, uh, how's life down in St. Augustine? You enjoying the winter? Uh, very much so. You know, I spent uh, January in New York, and uh, a great reminder of why I shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm glad to know you're down. Um, yeah. Make plans, make plans to pop over here soon. Will do. Will yeah. do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I spent the first half of January in the San Francisco Bay Area and then made the mistake of actually returning to New England for the second half of January. Which was is always a mistake, um, but uh, but that's <laughs> that's far behind us here. I mean, we are on the fringes of spring right now. I mean, you just mm-hmm. you know, even me. And I thought Hader, we were just on the fringe. <laughs> yeah, well, that too, that too. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to you uh, from uh, World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. 
Uh, and uh, and like I said, it's it's get starting to be beautiful up here. Um, we've had a couple of nice days. Then it kind of goes back and forth. It's New England's always this way, but particularly this time of year where we get uh, a couple of every now and then we get some 60 degree days, and then it goes back down to below freezing for a couple of days. And, and but that's what makes the maple syrup run. So it's okay. It's uh, we'll, we'll take it. How do they but catch it once it starts running? Too. Yeah. <laughs> buckets. There are buckets everywhere. You drive down the road and you see buckets attached to trees and little plastic tubes. And, uh, so uh, sap starts to run and jumps in the bucket. It does exactly. It does exactly. A so run here's, and jump. So here's the axe I want to grind, uh, Dave. I don't know <laughs> if you're aware of this, Dave, but it's you and me against uh, Jeb and James and apparently Amy as oh, well. Oh, what, what have we done? <laughs> Jeb and James and Amy are both allowing themselves to be seduced by Will Hawkins and his movie. All right. Apparently, uh, 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 and it feels so good. All three. <laughs> I'm sure Will, Will is just going to be thrilled. Just like that. that since I was in grade school. <laughs> no, all kidding aside, I know uh, Will has been down there. Uh, uh, Will and Rico have been down in the in Florida and that part of the country for a couple weeks now. I think uh, doing all sorts of interviews for their movie, A Pilot Story, and uh, among many people, uh, they uh, interviewed the three of you. Apparently, right? How'd that go? What was that like? Go ahead, uh, they, the, yeah, they hit me first. Uh, it was wonderful. It was uh, great to have an opportunity to talk about the things we always talk about, but to entertain the notion that maybe it's going to reach a little wider audience and actually convince somebody who's not already convinced uh, why they should be up in the air or when they're on the ground spending some time in a hangar, virtual or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly that's their goal is to uh, is to create a piece that will be appealing to uh people who aren't into aviation right now and i think it's kind and, of an, an interesting goal i think it's got a lot of potential so and, uh, and i yeah just want to add you know my hats off to them what a tremendous undertaking this is not an easy thing that uh they have it's carved not, out for themselves and it's, uh, you not, know, it's just and, wonderful it's just wonderful you know, that they're making this effort we we need to to urge some love in their direction via paypal mm-hmm. or some other tip jar mechanism uh because uh, what they're doing, A, ain't cheap, but B, uh, is uh, a very interesting project, and I think it deserves support. Um, I'm going to be chipping in a little bit here. Uh, Jack, you know what it is. You're going to let the others yeah. who aren't here in the hangar kind of get the overview? <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, a pilot story. Um, you can actually go to apilotstory.com, and uh, I'm looking at it right now, and yep. there, is a, there is a button, a link that you can, if you want to make a contribution. Uh, they also have now uh, their second trailer uh, online, so you see two samples of some of the stuff they've shot already. And uh, they're also they apparently have a separate site, which I can't find the link to right here, that has the uh, sort of video blog that they're putting together, which will be kind of was, was it about three episodes back we had uh, Will and Rico on? To yeah, talk a couple about, about maybe a month ago or so. Yeah, they were on. They were telling yes. us about the latest, and uh, they continue to chug along. So uh, so they interviewed the two of you. They apparently also interviewed uh, Amy and her husband Barry. Uh, down in uh, Fort Myer, and they've been wandering around um, interviewing all sorts of other people, uh, aviation notables and just regular folks uh, in the uh, Florida. It, we, we had a blast. We opened up my hangar door and set some lights up and sat out in front of the hangar with the airplane in the background um, as just as dark fell and uh, just had a blast. Um, um, had Will behind the camera and Rico, you know, asking questions and whatnot. Um it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, so I've seen the second trailer. Uh, it looks really good. It's very, 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 very well done. Isn't it, though? Yeah. It really is. Um, and uh, 
these guys these guys are are doing good work here. Yeah, very cool. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious to see how much of uh, you guys, you guys, cutting room floor, man. Get ready, just get ready. Right. You, you still haven't come to grips with the fact that I've actually done a video or two that's on AvWeb. You yeah. still haven't come to grips with that, have you? No, I have not. And uh, <laughs> another day, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, some, somewhere out there in the broadcast sphere is a, a History Channel program. That, I've seen uh, that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that, that they, they they drug me into and uh, was really really fun to do. It was about an hour and a half, maybe close to two hours, uh-huh. standing outside a hangar at Learjet with the producer and a rented crew from here in Wichita. And uh, I, I was one of, I guess, maybe a dozen people he interviewed here in town. And the the hardest thing for me to pick up, having been the guy that asked questions for so many years, was this idea that for the camera, it really helps uh, the the whole thing move along if you repeat the question at the beginning of the answer somehow. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That way, they never hear... They never really hear the guy ask a question. Yeah, that makes they sense. They always mm-hmm. hear the result of it with the question he asks. And, uh, you know, like, how did Wichita come to be, you know, such a center of aviation? Uh, well, you didn't just jump into, well, back in such and such, blah, blah, blah. You lead it off with, well, you know, Wichita came to be a center of aviation because when, whatever. And it made more sense to me when we finally saw the program. And, uh, I bet we can dig that up. We should we should do a little net searching and find out whether somebody's pirated a copy of that and stashed it on the internet. And, uh, well, I've you, seen it more than once on TV. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah, I've seen it. And I've seen parts of it recut into other programs. I'm sure, if you and, contact the History Channel, they they'd figure out a way to track down you know what program that was in or pro- programs. And, and tell you where to find them. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. And, well, somewhere around, again, I've got a VHS who, tape that they sent me. Who wants to go to that much trouble to, to actually watch Dave Higdon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Hey, uh, David, speaking of Dave, we found you a new airplane. Um, always on the lookout for oddball airplanes because, uh, you know, ask David. He'll fly anything. All right. Um, hey, it's Mikey. Yeah. So, uh, came so across. What, what what are you dangling in front of me this time? Uh, it's at the very top of the list. Uh, I uh, I think it was a listener in the forums called my attention to this, or maybe an email. Um, this is a, a a brand new prototype. It's only it's even it's not even in full oh, size. Oh, the fan wing. A fan wing oh. design. All right. Uh, it's an interesting uh, airplane design. Uh, it may or may not be all that new, groundbreaking. I'm not sure, but it is kind of oddball, interesting. Um, so it's sort of a roughly traditional you know shaped aircraft um you know uh that's wing. not traditional at all well, well I, you know a, a wing in front of empennage in the back you know that kind of thing the difference is that instead of having a, a propeller on the front all right it's got these and there's a name for this kind of fan what, what's the kind it's like a ducted fan a ducted fan kind of thing um along and it's a it's sort of a, a cylinder shaped fan that's along the entire leading edge of the uh, of the 
quote unquote airfoil, the wing. It is an airfoil, and uh, cylindrical blower was what uh, the yeah. phrase that I was taught years ago. That's that's a good uh, one too. And so what it does is it is it draws the air uh, uh, from a, from ahead of the aircraft and actually blows it over the top of the uh, of the wing, uh, and thus it both both gives you gives you thrust and helps uh, kind of make good lift across the top of the wing or under the bottom of the wing. Or you, know, you get my payload. Yeah. This thing is two. Are you ready now? Yeah. Payload is two kilograms. Okay. So I'm going to have to go on those, a, uh, I'm going to have to go on a big diet. Yeah. Uh, well, no. This is just a little. This is a little <laughs> prototype uh, radio-controlled <laughs> aircraft. It's about. It's probably got about a six-foot wingspan, um, and uh, they're just kind of tr- doing a proof of concept on the uh, on the, you know, this way of. Now, I, it's interesting. Uh, it's kind of cool. It certainly is a cool-looking RC aircraft. Uh, they're apparently talking about uh, scaling it up and turning it into uh, an unpiloted aircraft uh, that would be, or a remotely piloted aircraft for uh, like urban surveillance and that sort of thing. And uh, um, it's interesting design. The thing that's particularly notable for me is that apparently they claim that it's, you can't stall it, um, which kind of makes a little bit of sense. That I can. Say so you can, yeah, right, yeah. So well, uh, you know, there there have been airplanes that. Uh, it, it's been my good fortune to fly that if you put enough power in, uh, it they really wouldn't stall. Mm-hmm. I mean, not without really aggressive action to make them break. But if you just, you know, ratcheted up the note, you know, the the, the angle of attack uh, at a uh, at a rate that didn't cause you to climb, and and then as it started to lose altitude for, or want to want to settle, keep applying power, and you'd get above the normal stall speed indication, and it would just kind of hang there on the prop, maybe porpoise just a little bit, but some of them would just hang there forever uh, on on high power. Mm-hmm. What aircraft? Uh, Oh, a couple of the light sport design. Uh, well, they're they're experimental amateur built. Uh, what was the name of that little design? Is a tail wheel plane with a hundred horse jabiru. That doesn't narrow down a whole lot. Uh, well, tail wheel Highlander. The Highlander. That's what I was thinking. Right. That's the one we were talking yeah, about. Highlander. It really didn't want to stall if you pulled it up. If I'm remembering this correctly, it didn't really want to stall if you pulled it up at a high angle of attack. And the uh, uh, the uh, Helio Courier, uh, owned by the guy that. Uh, owned the company that made the Highlander kits. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't want to stall either when you pulled it way up and put power on it. Uh-huh. It would just kind of move forward at an ang- at, at a really low airspeed, low thirty knots, and and just hang there. Yeah. Well, Canard aircraft theory supposedly won't stall. Yeah. Yeah, but they do it a little differently. They usually set it up. the The main wing itself mm-hmm. is quite capable of stalling. Right. Uh, but what they do is set up the uh, the the stall angle or the angle of attack on the canard up front, mm-hmm. so that it breaks just before the main wing will. Mm-hmm. So what you get is this constant little porpoising, and right. it can make some of them a little bit awkward to land because you can't really flare them. Mm. Yeah, the fan wing. It's kind of interesting. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to. Uh, it looks like fun if they make one big enough. Yeah, uh, I'm right. game. Sure you are. Of course <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, uh, see. This. Speaking of uh, flying unusual oddball aircraft, no, it's not an oddball, oddball aircraft. But I'm pl- I'm proud to announce that I finally completed my GoBosch checkout uh, over at Southern uh-huh. Maine Aviation and. Uh, 
I am now checked out and signed off to uh, to rent the GoBosch 700 that's at uh, Southern Maine Aviation. And uh, so now for the first time in months, I actually have an airplane I can fly. Um, I, this has been kind of the frustrating thing throughout the Woo-hoo! winter. I mean, between, Good for you. Other than the fact that it's also been winter, which is also very frustrating. But uh, Absolutely. But I haven't had an airplane that I could fly, you know, on those occasional nice days because I wasn't well, I checked thought- out. You had a 172 at your command, I thought at one point. Uh, no, I had well, I had a one. Yeah, I had the the. But that was at uh, Ossipee Aviation, the other uh, airport over here. But back in November, Ossipee Aviation closed down. The guys who. The, oh no! Yeah, the folks who were running it decided to retire, and uh, and so the replacement FBO and I make little finger quotes around FBO because basically all they're doing is selling gas and plowing the runway. Um, they're no longer renting aircraft or doing instruction or anything like that. Uh, oh my God! At least last I heard, they're not doing that. So, um, but the good news is that so when I decide when I realized I had to leave if I to find a rentals I had to leave uh, um, Skyhaven Airport in Rochester. I went up to. Uh, to Sanford Maine Airport, uh, and the FBO is Southern Maine Aviation, and uh, and they have a nice little selection of aircraft up there. And they've got the uh, the Gobosh, they've got a a, a Valor Valor uh, uh, LSA, they've got and they've got three one seventy twos, and they've got the Citabria that I was flying back in the fall as well. So. Uh, Oh, you got going to have a lot to pick from. With yeah, no, I do, I do. But see, the problem is, I spent the whole winter. I mean, what little flying I did throughout the winter, it was all instructional flying, which is kind of you know good. But you, sometimes you just want to go flying, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say you you, you want to get some utility out of what you and just and I wasn't I didn't have privileges to rent anywhere, you know, throughout the whole winter. Right. So now I do. Uh, now I can fly the Gobosh, and uh, I'm hoping this weekend to to go out and and go someplace and and go play with. The I Go-Bosh. was thinking about you uh, over. Over the weekend, I came across a uh, a mid-time, I think it was a 1947 Cessna 140, Ah. in annual, airworthy, basic airplane, uh, $14,000. Whoa. Whoa. Down in Texas. I'll tell you, you guys have me pretty much convinced that I need a little bit more airplane to do some traveling. And uh, so I think if, when the day comes that I start shopping, it's going to be more of the kind of, you know, Skyhawk. When, when, you, uh, when you get to that day, yeah, talk talk to us. Yeah, we'll uh, talk some more. But uh, you've convinced me that I need an airplane that I can travel a little bit in. And uh, so, uh, you know, these days I think a lot about 172s and, and that sort of thing. But we'll talk about that more later on. we got a lot of well, stuff you to get talk one in the you get one in the right sweet spot, and it's, you know, not only reasonable for traveling in, that is, it's not so fast, but it's not so slow, and it's not so cheap, but it's not so expensive either. That you know, you get good travel utility out of it, and still don't mind just taking it out on boreholes in the sky days. Right, right. That's sort of what I'm thinking. A 172 might be for me, but you know, it may be that I can't. Well, there, I could probably find a 172. There are plenty of them out there. They made one or two of them. Yeah. yeah. Where do you want to fly it? I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, I all over the Northeast and further. You know, I want to fly to Oshkosh. Uh, I want to fly to to uh, to uh, Lee Bottom. All right. I want to fly there to you, you know upstate New York. I want to fly up into northern Maine. Um, I was looking at the map the other day. It suddenly occurred to me that I could fly to Nova Scotia. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. going to say you got you got some nice destinations across the border in Canada too. Yeah, I mean I could fly up the coast of Maine and then hop across the water at a place where I'm you know have you know where it doesn't seem too scary. Paperwork's a little them. more complicated than it used to be, but a custom sticker I think is still pretty cheap. Yeah, really, and that'll get you started. Yeah, James, what are you going to say? Up in Nova Scotia, I would recommend uh, the Marguerite Valley. There's a very nice uh, fly-in 
spot up there. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, some good salmon fishing there. I've always been fascinated by Nova, uh, by Halifax. I've never been to Halifax, but uh, um, a, a lively, interesting city. There's a, a a large aviation museum right there, also oh, really? a military aviation museum. Yep. Ah, yeah, they had an explosion, right? Didn't they have a? That's right. They had a huge, huge explosion back uh, near the beginning, I guess it was, of the last century. Some like ship that, yeah. went up and just flattened the town. Yeah, it was like totally yeah. packed with ammunition, you know, munitions of yeah. some sort, and it just went <laughs> off, you know, like a yep. big bomb. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I could do some flying up there. So that's sort of what I'm thinking, but that's still a ways in the future because you know the economy's kind of screwed up and have to be careful. But uh, mm. I know where there's a Comanche 250 for 28. Yeah, well, you know, you, I, not only you, I hear lots of people singing the praises of these Comanches, so I don't know. You know, it's, that's... I, see, I'm, I hit, you know, the three of you are going to gang up and beat me here, all right? But here's what I'm going to oh, say. What? I am not, Go ahead. I, I, I'm not a low-wing guy, all right? I, I, I'm a high-wing guy. I, I, like, I like being able mm-hmm. to see the ground. I, I, I fly... See, this is what makes IFR kind of a of an unusual thing for me, because the very notion of flying when I can't see the ground. I mean, I understand it's a utility thing; it's to get you someplace, <laughs> right? You know, I talked to no, like no. You, you, you and Jeff were t- really freaked out. <laughs> Um, the first time we flew together, when we flew down to Sun and Fun. I, w- I wouldn't go so far as to say I was freaked out, but I, I was kind of like, well, where's the ground? What, what's the point yeah, here? I'll, I'll take yourself by... I'll take the freaked out back. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, 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 I, I, I bug out to 11,000 feet. We put on oxygen. You said, I can't see the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't see the ground. Jack, 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 let me put it in this, in, 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 in this context, okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you've already moved way, way into the abstract. Holy crap, I'm flying. Uh, you know, I'm flying and I'm moving in three dimensions that 99.15% of the rest of the population will never get to do yeah. because the idea freaks them out. Now, you've reconciled yourself to that. Doing it, just just think of doing it in the dark. Yeah, I know. Two and words, it's just not much of a vision. step for that. Synthetic yeah. vision. Well, you know, synthetic vision. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. All right, but um, uh, I, I, one last thought on the subject of being freaked out, Jeb. I will confess that I was a little freaked out. I was a little freaked out on that flight the first time we punched straight into the side of a cloud. All right, it's like we're flying along and it's really nice and clear and I can see everything and I'm having a good old time and it's pretty and gorgeous. All right, and there's a cloud coming at us and I'm and the cloud's coming at us and I'm going, okay, I know this is fine. There's, I know this is totally there's a cloud coming. Oh my god. Well, the thing is too, you know, when you're VFR, you get so so conditioned to, you know, oh man, I got to get away from that. Oh, I can't go over there, or I got to go around this. Uh, I'm not going that way today because I can't see. Yeah, I, mean, I won't be able to see the ground. We're flying along, and I'm thinking, okay, I know this is totally normal. I know this is totally safe. I know this is totally <laughs> fine. But how the hell do we know what's on the other side of this cloud? You know, come on, there's we no can't place do this. like home. There's yeah. no place like home. <laughs> All right. So I got my GoBoss check out. I got I got an airplane to fly now, and hopefully, I'm going to start taking advantage of that real soon. Cool. Outstanding. So I'm in my yeah. health. I'm in my gym at the health club the other day, and I'm on the treadmill, and I'm doing my my uh, two and a half miles. And there's like this bank of TVs in the in this room that's filled with treadmills, and one of the TVs has got CNN on it, and I'm just kind of glancing at it, and suddenly I see they've got uh, they're showing 
um, a small aircraft flying around close to the ground, and I'm going, oh, crap, what's this story about? And it turns out that it was this uh, Detroit uh, landing gear emergency that happened the other day, and I happened to catch it live on CNN uh, as well. You've got a feel for this poor pilot. Do you really, really want your emergency to be televised, televised live on CNN? But uh, this guy's flying around, uh, um, probably uh, doing the things that you do when you have a, a gear you know, failure or you don't get all your green lights. And, uh, and then he eventually uh, you know, he flew around a couple times. I guess these shots were being taken from, a tra- from some sort of traffic helicopter or some sort of TV station helicopter. There's a couple from the ground here, too. Yeah. And, uh, and I started to get a little nervous because he was flying around so much. And at one point it looked like he was trying to make a landing and then he broke off at the last second. But I'm not sure if that's really what he was doing. But he finally came around and made a, a relatively straightforward approach uh, at a runway and uh, touched down on the runway. And um, uh, immediately the right gear collapsed, which was what they were concerned about. But uh, he kept the aircraft under control. It did swerve a bit off to the right and, and went off the pavement onto the grass. But it was uh, not at all a, a terribly dramatic situation. Uh, airplane pretty quickly came to a stop. Door popped open. Uh, door popped open almost before the airplane stopped moving, uh, and uh, and the uh, lone occupant, the pilot, uh, just stood up, stepped out of the aircraft, and walked away. And uh, everything was. And and I'm so here I am on my little treadmill, all right, amongst all these other people who are just certainly not even paying any attention at all. And I am applauding, all right. I go, <laughs> good job, good job, all right. And, well, uh, well, first of all, the door certainly should have been popped open before exactly. he even touched the ground. Yeah, it, now, in the best of all possible worlds, he thought the one of the gear, one of the main gear possibly was not locked into position. Would it be better to go for landing alongside the runway in the grass no. or no, no, finding no, 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 a turf no, no, no. field? No? No, 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 no. The, 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 always aim for the pavement when you've got a gear up issue. Um, the grass can bunch up and, 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 and suddenly stop the aircraft and even cause it to flip over mm. um, as, as the aircraft slides along on, on open ground. Uh, on a paved level runway, it's going to slide and it's mm-hmm. going to wear off some parts, but it's not going to stop. It's not going to come to an abrupt stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, as long as you maintain directional control. So, um, I can't tell. One of these pictures, it looks like uh, the airplane is off of pavement. I can't see the landing gear in this shot because there's an obstruction. But, um, um, no, landing on the pavement is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Okay. It looked like um, on one of the images I saw. might have been the thing to do would be to retract the remaining gear. and and Not worry about. If you thought uh, only one was not green. I'd, I'd I'd take I'd take the uh, the every all the gear up option over uh, two down and one I'm not sure about. Really? Yeah, because huh. if, if that one I'm not sure about gives at the wrong time, and I'm still going too fast uh, to to really stop or maintain control, I'm going off the runway, and and I don't know what's going to happen then. But hmm. if I can if I can fly the airplane straight down the runway and land it on its belly. I can I can control it till it's down to a, a slow enough stop, and I'm not really sure I care what I hit. Hmm. So I would definitely land, uh, retract all the gear. But I don't know what he did. I don't know what kind of situation this guy had. Yeah, I, I haven't really read the details of it, but he appeared to have attempted to have all the gear down because the the left and the and the nose were down and and apparently held. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, and if if he this is this is a piper, and it depends on uh, hydraulic fluid to get the gear up, and then they free fall down. Okay, and if he had a problem that caused the uh, the the right one to not free fall all the way down, uh, it's possible he might have lost fluid out through the system where he couldn't pull the other two back up again. That's exactly uh, right. I don't know how this failure presented, so I don't know what the guy was dealing with. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that the guy did wrong, yeah. but I'm suggesting that if you have the option, right. well, to try, me, try to land with, with gear up in this kind of a situation. Let me share something an insurance adjuster told me once. After sure. a somewhat, it's, it's his somewhat, somewhat, somewhat <laughs> embarrassing incident in my life uh, when I landed our Comanche uh, gear up at uh, Benton Air Park. Back 1998, I guess it was. Uh-huh. And uh, talking to the adjuster, really nice guy from down in Oklahoma, had a nice drawl. And he's like trying to make me feel, you know, less bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going through this Q&A. And he goes, and by the way, I got to tell you, son. He says, that has to be one of the cleanest gear up landings I have ever seen. Because uh, <laughs> other, other than ripping off the, the pedo tube. And I think you probably did that when you turned off the runway and into the grass. He said there is not a mark on the wings anywhere. He said, and if you hadn't had if if you hadn't pulled notches of flaps for landing, you wouldn't have had any flap damage at all. You didn't touch anything. He said usually we get you know belly damage and wingtip damage and maybe gear door damage because they land them kind of cattywampus when they land gear up. He says, man, you were straight and narrow. Now, did you know you had gear up, or was this a surprise? I had uh, I, I knew I had gear up uh, right after I was surprised that I had gear up. Uh, <laughs> There's a video. Have you seen this? There's a video when, in YouTube. Somebody, I yeah, forget. I was. Yeah, uh, you who sent it to someone sent it to me, and it's and, you know it's like one of these videos. And there's a billion of these. There's a billion videos on the on on YouTube and on the internet right now that just show you know an approach to landing from the back seat. You know, kind of looking between the two front seats and out the. Oh, you're front. talking about the one with the gear warning going off. Yeah, and, but this one, this one, so this one is supposed yeah. to be a routine landing, and the, clearly these pilots think everything's hunk punky dory and everything's great. All right, but apparently there's like a warning eh, eh, or whatever it was. All right, and then they come into land and they come to touchdown, and suddenly everything. Got a big scraping noise, and they're all looking at each other, going, "What the heck?" You know, and they go, "Oh, God, I think he even awful. you put the gear down." He even made some sort of expletive, expletive I believe, when he suddenly realized <laughs> what stupid thing he had done. So, uh, I don't well, my best, that. yeah, my best buddy Tom was with me in the right seat when I did this. We never got a gear horn. Uh, we found out later that it had slipped badly out of adjustment, and it depended on you pulling the throttle out to a certain point, yeah. and mm-hmm. it never came on. But we knew that the gear was still up when the airplane got closer to the runway than we'd ever had it before. (laughs) But we still hadn't touched. Yeah. And that was the point when the propeller tip started to hit. Uh, My first instinct was to try to put the wheels down, and then I thought, no, that's just going to screw stuff up even worse. Get the wheels partway down as the airplane weight comes down on the the gear mechanism. Now, did you wreck Uh, the engine? Engine got sent out and torn down and inspected. Uh, matter of fact, we did a, a, a micrometer runout check on the propeller flange before I ferried it from the accident airport to the repair airport, which was kind of an interesting bundle of nerves on that flight. Yeah. Uh, you know, wheels were down. They stayed down. It was about a 15-mile uh, flight. 
and uh, brand new prop. Uh, the other one was, well, it just wasn't a deal. That's the other thing the insurance adjuster says, son, you got three choices on your propeller. He says, now you can get three estimates, uh, get three bids on fixing it, and we'll pick the middle one and we'll pay it. Uh, or we, you can have us look around the country and we'll find a yellow tag one and just replace it. Or you can get three bids and then buy something new and you pay the difference between the middle bid and the cost of a new prop. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a long pause on my part, and I said, P- you mean people actually p- – does anybody ever pick anything other than option C? And he goes, oh, son, people are really cheap. He <laughs> says they pick A and B all the time, the one that doesn't cost them any out-of-pocket. He says, uh, I take it you're not going to do that. I said, hell no. <laughs> there were some really good deals on new yeah. STC props for that airplane. So we wound up with this brand-new, pretty three-blade Macaulay for 600 and change. Mm-hmm. That was the difference between the repair bill and the cost of the new prop. And uh, it had a 24-hour TBO, no ADs, no RPM limitations, uh, almost two inches smaller diameter than the old prop, uh, nice, sexy scimitar blades. And after we put it on for thereafter, when we taxi in, taxi in on a ramp, the only sound people heard on the ramp was the sound of the exhaust pipe. You couldn't hear the prop. That was people a good t- sound in airplane. It really did sound good. Oh, it sounded good. And people all the time would have seen it. Boy, that's a nice sound in 250 you got there. And I'd kind of smile and say, thanks, don't, don't, don't tell it because it's only a 180 and I don't want it to get a big head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a really quiet airplane. and uh, The loudest thing on it was the exhaust pipe. But, you know, you can gear up good and you can gear up bad and... I mean, if you gotta have to gear up, this guy this walks away. Pace, That's all I need like to know. Like it was coming down. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, well, good job from this guy. Like I said, I was applauding in the uh, on the treadmill, and uh, you know, saying good job. <laughs> I think nobody. Oh yeah. Well, they're all. Everybody's all sweating. They're not even listening to me. That's enough. That's your on airport landing of the That's week. That's the on airport landing of the week. Yes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he did a very good job. So uh, let's see. Here's my weekly uh, IFR training uh, report, which is not much to report. I had the uh, class. I think it was. I think this is class number five out of eight uh, on Sunday morning, and uh, we covered uh, we covered IFR clearances, uh, you know, terminology and process and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we spent a lot of time going over a lot of sample test questions. It was just about as boring as it can possibly be. Um, of course. That's really what these kinds of ground classes or courses are all about: is to prep you for the test. So it's important stuff, but uh, but not not very exciting. And it you, went on you, for yeah. You can do it by yourself with you yeah know, because well, and I certainly am going to. I've been exploring the net, trying to find an, a, a good uh, online test prep thing. And uh, well, they have Jack, a book Jack. that has all the questions yeah. and, and Jack, that they no. might ask. So just get yeah, that just, book. I know. Download there's a PDF on the web, on the FAA website. No, they I know. All the, they have all the questions there. Yeah, I know. But yeah. in this day and age, there should be there should be good interactive training. You know, for example, I found an interesting one, and this is the free yeah. one. Hang on, on a spec. Hang yeah. on. You're practicing to take an exam. Yeah. That's what you're practicing for. Yes, it's important to have subject matter knowledge, but right now your objective is to get through the written exam. Right. Okay. Yeah. So go get a copy of the written exam that doesn't have the answers on it, and sit down and answer each question. 
you'll get through the exam with a 95 plus. I guarantee it. That's all you really need to do. You don't need to go out and spend a bunch of money on a bunch of high-tech gadgets. Just sit down with the questions and answer each one, every one of them. And then you'll get through the exam perfectly. And you'll get subject matter knowledge in the process. 95 yeah, the, the plus. The book that has the answers, that has the questions right. and the answers. Yeah, yeah. No, that's no, the no, one. No, 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 no. Get the questions only and then go find the answers. Ah, uh, okay. All right. That's too much trouble. I, I went to, with the one that had the answers, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I've Because, written- look, you know, it sounds like cheap, but there's like a thousand in there, and, you know, 95% yeah, there's, there's of only, them, literally, they're not going to ask. So there's, really there's only one or two. There's only one or two in the in the in the exams that, or at least when I back when I was taking them, I presume they're pretty damn close to the same. Um, that are really going to stump you that are new. Um, the rest of them, if you can do a, a, an E six B, if you work an E six B or a calculator, and do weight and balance and do detailed flight planning, and you know the regs. You'll get through the written exam just fine. Okay. Right. Well, the regs there because there are a lot of questions about that that are not necessarily something right. that right. have right. to do with logic, but are more rote. And the FAA has a lot of of um, training materials um, on the FAA on the, on their website. The Part sixty one FAC alone. Um, is just a wealth of information, and, mm-hmm. and yeah. especially on certif- on obviously I should say on, on on pilot certification. Well, that's probably good advice. I'll I'll, I'll I'm I'm definitely going to download it, whether or not I try and find something. Fa- I'm a computer geek. I need to. Yeah, I, I, need I understand. To. Okay. I understand. But I'll do both. But, I'll do both. But you're gonna you're gonna look at it on your computer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Find that'll it. that'll satisfy me. Is what you're saying, right? Yeah. Okay. I, that should. Say. I found the written was the most challenging part of getting an instrument ticket. Yeah. Yeah, yes. it, could, it could be. It could be, um, but I've I've ri- I've made myself a note here. Jeb guarantees me ninety five plus. So. <laughs> if, you, if you do it my way, if I do it your way, that's your. And if you don't get the ninety five percent, you didn't do it. I his didn't way. do it his way. I didn't do it his way. One one little interesting tidbit that came out of James uh, just saved me a bunch of time. I know. <laughs> one little interesting tidbit that came out of uh, out of this past Sunday's class is something that I, this is not not earth shaking. It's just something I never realized, and it kind of is mind boggling that there are places where there are dual IL. LS, I can't even say it. Dual ILS approaches to parallel runways. Uh, yeah, sure. And that sure. just kind of, you know, I mean, I kind of like thinking about, you know, the tolerances of trying to stay on the beam, so to speak, you know, and, uh, um, you know, but you can go, you can drift one side or the other a certain amount and it's okay. But if you're on parallel runways, there could be another aircraft right out there in the fog that you can't see, also blind. And, uh, boy, if you both make the mistakes in the opposite direction, I'm sure that's not the way it works, and there's plenty of tolerances. But uh, If you're going in, well, first of all, if you're going into one of those airports, they do mandate a certain distance between the runway. If you're going into an airport with dual ILSs on parallel runways, believe me, you're in radar contact. They've got people watching you, and at the first sign that something is going awry, they're going to have both aircraft uh, be talking to them and let them know, and somebody's going to be told to go around or... Get the heck well, out of there or something. Now, do they use some sort of enhanced separation standard so that you can't be side-by-side? Side? Do they kind of make the sure that runways are farther there's apart? There's a neutral zone. Yeah. First of all, there's a, there's a, a, a standard distance they must be apart, as, as James notes. Uh, somewhere in the center of that and downrange, uh, there is a, a kind of a no-transgress zone 
that if either of the airplanes approaching the runways enters that zone, the other one automatically goes around mm-hmm. by I see. ATC clearance. Um, but um, uh, you're talking about almost a mile of lateral separation in most of the, uh, um, the, 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 at least the more modern airports like Dulles, for example. Uh, it's a fur piece, if you will, from um, um, the, the each north-south runway to the next one. Well, you know the one three, that I got keep... three of them now at Dulles. I haven't I haven't well, flown in there since the the third uh, north-south runway went in. I, I think um, it's great. I'm sorry. Go ahead, James. No, no. But they're all, they're all doing parallels to those runways all the time. I, I just think it's great that Jack is addressing his IFR phobia. It's like, what's on the other side of that cloud? And what if right. I, I think it's one of Yeah. Well, and something to remember, Jack, is every procedure has a missed procedure to go with it. I know. I know. And in, in all you got to do, just like everywhere else, where you've got those parallel runways with simultaneous ILS approaches going on, you know, down to few hundred feet and a fraction of a mile it happens all the time in the winter in the summer but the mist on both of those parallel approaches are going to take people away from encroachment with the other yeah. approach the, the one that i so, keep thinking about know, is everybody's uh, just got to stay on the game plan and, and everything works the one that i keep thinking about and i looked it up there are in fact uh, parallel ils approaches to the two uh, runway 28s at san francisco um, that certainly are not a mile apart. I they, mean, yeah, they're not. The, no, some no. of the some of these were grandfathered in uh, when they started to enforce n- new changes. Uh, there was a, a widening of the standard a few years ago when they they didn't allow it at all for a while. Yeah, they may. And, uh, I mean, I've been on approach to there in VFR, and I've had somebody. And this is sitting in the back of an airliner. I've had somebody off the right yeah me too and isn't isn't that a thought right you see look at that airplane you're going whoa i trust them but i wonder perhaps in actual ifr maybe they stagger them so that you know i was going to say that's my question you know they uh, they do stagger them depending on the airport and i don't know you know what the criteria are or or which airports do that but that's another trick up their sleeve yeah um in addition to just the, the lateral displacement they'll stagger them um um distance from the runway on the approach yeah so well, anyways more of those approaches are flown under technological control too yeah yeah you we're know, gonna the, 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 there's a there's a, a an ils interface with the autopilot or right. the flight director you know it's getting steering commands from the cdi i know i know that hold that thought at. i want to talk about that in a second in a few minutes here but let's come back to that okay um CD- so moving on um <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, no, we we got to move on. We're never going to get through half this list if we don't, we don't keep things moving. On. Um, a little bit of uh, podcast administrative stuff here. Uh, we've been talking over the past uh, a few weeks uh, about uh, the possibility of doing some meetups around the country, uh, and uh, I I know I have some announcements to make about the uh, Central New England meetup. But uh, Dave, you were also trying to put together a Wichita thing. Any any news there, or should we? I haven't heard from any new people since we talked about it last on the podcast. Uh, that podcast has now been up long enough. I figure that by the time this one's up, I'll have a, uh, an idea. But it looks like right at the moment, most it might be is, is four or five of us. Uh, and we have a couple of options on where we can go. Actually, three options on where we can go where there will be a lot of other airplane people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of them is not open yet. 
and depending on how quickly we do this, uh, we have the potential of it being open and us being among the first customers for this place. Oh, cool. Uh, up here in New England, we've been talking about uh, uh, possibilities for some sort of UCAP meetup. And uh, uh, this all came out of when Jeff Ward and I had lunch, when Scoffrejet and I had lunch. And uh, we were originally thinking about doing something kind of in the sort of northern Massachusetts, southern New Hampshire area. Um, so we opened this up on the forums. And uh, a lot of people on the forums got very excited about the possibility of doing something a little more whole New England oriented. Um, and we're, we're now starting to focus on uh, what apparently is a pretty cool airport. I've never been there, but it's called Barnes uh, Airport, and it's in sort of central Massachusetts. It's uh, uh, Bravo Alpha Foxtrot, um, and uh, apparently there's an air, there's a restaurant on field, and uh, it's got some. And he does that pilot talk good. It's got some. It's concentration. You just got to concentrate, uh, and uh, so. We, we like that idea, but we wanted to do something sooner rather than later. So what we're going to do is we're going to – the Barnes thing is still in the works, and it'll probably happen sometime in like the April, maybe even May time frame as the weather gets nicer. And we'll kind of do a combination fly-in, drive-in thing for people who uh, who want to come up for that. Uh, and more on that later on. But uh, to, to do something in sooner rather than later, uh, Jeff and I put our heads together and we kind of compared notes with some of the other people who are uh, interested in getting together. And we've selected a, a restaurant. Uh, th- there's, there's sort of three really kind of good airports in that region. There's uh, Bedford, uh, Hanscom uh, Field that I, we talked about in the past. There's Lawrence. Uh, and then there's Nashua. And so we said, let's find something sort of in the midst of all those. So uh, in uh, Tewksbury, Mass., uh, the, which is sort of geographically about halfway, uh, there is a, a 99 restaurant that we're all going to gather at on Monday evening, March 23rd at 6.30 p.m. And uh, this is, uh, it's uh, for anybody who wants to take a notes, it's at uh, 401 Main Street in Tewksbury. We'll put a link uh, in the show notes with a, a link right through to a map with a, with a uh, direction. Well, I went to Tewksbury years ago. Yep. And uh, so we're going to go to the 99 restaurant. Uh, 99 is a great restaurant chain, uh, not to be confused with the uh, the women's aviation group, but uh, uh, it is a is a fun restaurant. And uh, we're not going to do dinner. We'll probably do you know uh, uh, adult beverages and appetizers or something like that. Um, and uh, it's going to be me and Jeff Ward, and maybe that's it. But anybody else who wants to join us, please do. Uh, you don't need to RSVP. Uh, although if you wanted to let us know where you were coming to to expect you, that'd be fine too. Send us an email email or put something in the forums and uh we're going to get together on uh, on march 23rd that's a monday evening so that's the wow. uh, first central new england ucap meetup and why not bring your computer and have it be virtual as well well you know we might uh, do something along that line we might record something to to play on the podcast or make into a special super podcast or something i don't know but uh, we might do something like that i should check and find out if the 99 has wi-fi that's an interesting idea Monday, March 23rd. What's next? Um, So as part of my IFR uh, training, um, I've been playing around with uh, Flight Simulator, X-Plane, the flight simulator on my computer. And uh, what I'm doing is rediscovering the kind of fun of uh, VOR navigation, which is something I used to play around with a lot back in my early uh, flying days. And for some reason, I drifted away from it. And so now I've been kind of having fun uh, uh, flying the VORs and now trying to kind of fly in the flight simulator, fly the ILSs. And something I've discovered that is that 
autopilots. Man, I never flew airplanes back in the old days that had autopilots. Even today, I don't fly airplanes that have autopilots. And my instructor's going, oh, man, use the autopilot, all right? And so I'm starting to play with the autopilot on on the flight simulator, and it makes it way easier, all right? Huh. And yeah, okay. And so yeah. my, but but here's my thing, all right? This is cheating. This is just cheating, all right? It's like you're not allowed to use it in your exam. I'm for sure. not necessarily even talking about IFR training or IFR check rides. I'm talking about just flying in general. Autopilots are cheating. What do you no have to way. say? Well, how oh, great! <laughs> so this is the debate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're not cheating. They're, they are a tremendous help. They uh, they are a, a huge safety enhancement because really? the fact there is that there are a lot of single pilot IFR operations. You don't have the option of bringing somebody along to sit in the right seat and take care of things. And there is a lot to do, and an autopilot is the greatest, uh, auto is the greatest help you can have short of somebody sitting in the right seat to take care of some of those things that you don't need to do. All right, if he wasn't on, yes, you could fly to the VOR. Yes, you could do that, but you don't have time you know, it's like delegating responsibilities. That's what an autopilot is. Yeah, Jeb. Jack, let me tell okay, you they, firsthand. It keeps, it keeps you fresh for when you really need to fly the airplane. Too many hours flown without an autopilot, Jack. Yeah. Like oh. yeah, I'm, my uh, almost seventeen hundred hours in the Comanche we owned. All seventeen hundred of them were without an autopilot, and there were some long trips. And there were some long trips with some ugly weather uh, at the end, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bad place to have to, you know, when you're mm-hmm. when you're when you're tired and you've been in the air a long time. That's a terrible time to have a lot of curves thrown at you. Yeah. And the times that those went best were the times when somebody was with me in the right seat, so I could do one of two things: Can you hold the airplane on this altitude and heading while I look this up? Or can you look this up while I hold the altitude? (laughs) (laughs) So how reliable are autopilots these days? Extremely. Well, I'll tell you, I've had mine. I've had my airplane for 10 years this summer. Okay. Uh, It came with the autopilot that's installed in it. Um, I have had one piece of maintenance done to that autopilot, uh, which might have been $500. I don't remember it probably wasn't that much, but it certainly was not breathtakingly expensive. And that's it. That's all that I've done to to that autopilot and all of its components uh, in the 10 years. And I don't know, you know, prior to my possession, I don't know the last time offhand the, the autopilot was serviced, but it's not frequent. It's very reliable. I, I think you do want to know what the failure modes are and what happens because you can have a gyro failure that will affect your autopilot and it can be a slow failure and you might not realize it. So you want to kind of keep tabs on things and know what, you know, what happens on the autopilot if this system goes so that you are knowledgeable and prepared, but it is not something that you're going to find yourself having to take over because the thing conks out on you. Yeah, you're right. Well, but here, um, there, there are two basic, there are two basic autopilot designs. One is uh, um, attitude based, and the other is rate based. Um, the uh, each has their finer points. Each has their their uh, the things that they do better than the other. Um, the more some of the more modern autopilots are rate based. Um, 
But uh, they're very the, the modern autopilots are very reliable, and some of the most reliable and most um, lightest and uh, uh, most accurate autopilots out there are are not certified. They're for the experimental crowd only. But there's some yeah. very nice autopilot equipment out there for uh, experimentals. A, a certified guys kind of have to um, um, put up with larger larger sums of money, but uh, and larger components. But well, you, you, they all do work. You can put an STEC system 30 in almost anything now for it's going to cost you you know between eight and ten grand depending on the installation that uh, that you want and whether you want to have it you know uh, how many radios you want to have it linked to and things like that you can put GPS rolled steering on it so it does this seamless uh, course line to course line turning and which can be nice you can use it for you you know. Yeah, um, but uh, keeping Mine's not keep, keeping your manual flying skills up is the biggest. I think it's the most important thing you can do when you've got an autopilot. You don't think about that when you don't have an autopilot because that's what you do. You fly the airplane, but spending a little time periodically, regularly, you know, oh, you're flying a couple of hundred miles. I'm not going to let George do it. You know, it's nice weather. Uh, I don't need to lean on the help for instrument approach issues or, you know, uh, stand by to copy a new clearance. I always loved the sound of that. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, keeping, your, keeping your hand skills at least familiar enough so that everything falls into place should that time arise when you really do have to. There can be conditions where you're not looking at an autopilot failure, but you're looking at air where the recommended procedure is to turn off the autopilot and put your hands back on the yoke or the stick. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that's pretty gnarly stuff, and it's not the kind of gnarly stuff that we normally fly ourselves into, but it does happen. And, and, you know, as reliable as they are... uh, Having the airplane feel familiar and and natural and instinctive is the best preparation I can think of for that very rare, unlikely event of an autopilot failure. Okay. Well, you know, I, I and I made the dramatic statement at the beginning here just to kind of prompt some conversation here. I'm actually becoming a believer. It's, you know, I again... When I started flying, autopilots apparently were not as sophisticated, or at least they were not, you know, available. The airplanes the- that I was flying, they never worked. Yeah, maybe that's yeah, part of yeah. it. You know, that I'd heard horror stories or whatnot. You know. Oh, and, some uh, of the old generation stuff that used pneumatics instead of uh, uh, electrics and electric servos used bellows and yeah, and, so- and uh, suction motors and. Uh, they worked okay to the limits of their design, but they had a whole lot of maintenance uh, uh, shortcomings. Yeah, but playing and around with you, go ahead. You mentioned safety. My bride Annie is, is always supportive of upgrades on airplanes that contribute to safety. There's never a debate there. You know, will this make the airplane safer, uh, or is this just something because you're a gadget freak? Uh, she read an article in Flying that Richard Collins did years ago, addressing specifically, solely, the safety aspects of having an autopilot. Good weather, bad weather, in route, approach environment, all the things that it helped you could help a single pilot to do. And uh, she read that article and went, 
How much would it cost to put an autopilot in a Comanche? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Okay, that goes at the top of the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah, I'm becoming a believer. Um, it certainly makes it a lot. I mean, this is just the simulator. That's all I know is from the simulator. But uh, I can't wait to get in an airplane that has an autopilot to give it a try and uh, <laughs> and see how it works. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving along here. Um, posting uh, in the forums from a listener goes by E. Brendan. Uh, is uh, a call for help, uh, an all-too-common story here. I'll read uh, just a few paragraphs from his posting. He says, uh, Another airport in Connecticut has come to a critical crossroads in its existence this month, and you may be able to help. Robertson Field Airport, or I believe it's 4 Bravo 8, uh, is Connecticut's oldest operating airport, and this month faces closure. Town residents from Plainville, Connecticut, will be heading to the polls to vote if they should keep their airport open or reclaim the land that, uh, uh, he refers to as that that dirty 11-letter word that we hate to hear, development. He says, on Tuesday, March 31st, the town will vote if they should buy Robertson Field or sell it to developers. The voting will take place from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. in the firehouse on West Main Street. I urge you all, and there are 450 of you, if you know anyone who lives in Plainville, I think at 450 he's referring to all the uh, forum posters. Um, he said, if you know anyone who lives in Plainville, Connecticut, it could be relatives, friends, business associates, or anyone else that you can think of who can vote on this subject, please call them now and tell them to vote yes to keep the airport open on Tuesday, one, March 31st on the ballot. One question. Yeah. If they are thinking about using this for development, how is that possibly reclaiming the land? Yeah, I know. It's an, it's it's one of those phrases, right? Um, sad situation. There's more information here in the forums. I'm not going to read it all, but uh, uh, if, if you have any connection to uh, to uh, Plainville, Connecticut, um, uh, like he says, a a friend or a neighbor or an acquaintance or whatever, um, please go and uh, take a look at this full posting. Um, There's also some uh, links to some uh, newspaper articles on the subject and uh, some blog postings. uh, And uh, we... uh, you know, anything we can do to, to help save another airport. It kind of amazes me. I, I Maybe I'm just kind of naive, but I was on, I, I've always been on the impression that just about every airport in America is protected by some sort of FAA money that locks it up um, for, you know, whatever it is, 30 years or 20 years uh, or whatnot. That's a minority of the airports, unfortunately. Yeah. So, anyways, so listeners, if you know anybody in Plainville, please get them going because Robertson Field needs our help. Keep it Plainville, but with an A-N-E, not yeah, that's A-I-N. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, really. Uh, let's see now. Um, Keep the planes in Plainville. I so, like that. There you so go. we were talking a couple of minutes ago about uh, the uh, meetup that we're going to hold up here in New England. And, uh, of course, we had a meetup out in San Francisco uh, a few uh, months back. Um, it was kind of thrilling to see a posting in the forums uh, the other day that uh, a couple of UCAP listeners in Australia had a UCAP meetup. Uh, they uh, let's see now. This is uh, oh my goodness! I thought I knew it. Let's see now. It's, uh, there's a great picture. Um, one of them is Steve pa- Stephen Pam, um, and then there is wait a minute. His name is here someplace. Where is it? Uh, 
uh, oh, it's uh, he goes by the name. The other guy goes by the name of Falcom One Two Four, and uh, the two of them uh, met up. Uh, apparently, they don't really know each other, but they know each other from the forums, and they got together at the Avalon uh, Air Show uh, in Australia mm. and uh, snapped a quick picture of themselves standing in front of the uh, the poster for the event. You can see some airplanes in the background. Looks kind of kind of interesting event, and uh, mm-hmm. um, would you know it's in Australia, so I guess I'm probably not going to get there. But uh, you know, I never saw an air show I didn't like, so this one I'm sure I would like as well. Well, uh, someone someone somewhere else said that Avalon is is either dry and dusty or completely mud. So uh, <laughs> apparently, depending on the time of year, yeah, you know, you know, or, or the, the the morning or afternoon, I'm told. Uh, apparently, it changes quickly. Um, so these guys got together and had a little meetup. Uh, now, now the, the the troubling part about this picture, all right, and it's very exciting that that UCAP listeners got together and met and talked about airplanes. <laughs> the troubling part about this picture, all right, is that Falcon One Two Four, all right, standing there smiling into the camera, is wearing an Airspeed shirt. All right, he's wearing a shirt from Steve Tupper's Airspeed podcast, and well, you know, good for Steve. I guess he's better at promotion than we are because we don't have any shirts out there. This is going to trigger <coughs> me. This is going to make it happen. All right. This is like okay, we got to get shirts. All right, because if people are wearing Airspeed shirts to the UCAP meetups, then we are missing we'll have an opportunity. To do some shirts here. Yeah, we're going to have to do some shirts and hats and mugs and you know and, yeah. and all sorts of. I don't know. We, we've done a, we've done a mug and we've done a, a knit shirt. Yeah, eternal. But they were very very small runs. I agree. Very very small runs and uh, some things we'd do differently next time. Yeah. But uh, um, we, we need to think about. Yeah. It. So, anyways, thanks to uh, thanks to Stephen Pam, uh, who apparently was the, sort of the the ringleader on this, and Falcon One Two Three Four. Uh, or one two four and uh, and I believe they were going to try and and it was a, a couple days later they were going to try and also gather some UCAP people so there may have been another one but that's very I mean I'm they still didn't off. have any UCAP shirts though. yeah well, kinda, I, I, I'm kind of goofing think... around here a little bit but I just I, I just want to say how how really touching it is that yeah. that, that not only there are UCAP listeners in uh, places all over the world we, but they're going out of their way to get together that's very very we cool. are in awe. Yeah, yeah, we we are I, I very think, humbled and flattered by yeah. James. What are you going to say? Well, I was just saying for getting the message out there on clothing, you you definitely need the U cap, which is simply oh, I see. Is that what we should do? Huh? Hat we've with had a U a on it. Of, we've had a couple of different designs floated around recently. One of them put a big U on the cap. Yeah, one of them we might have to just do T-shirts. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll do something. We'll, we'll, we'll now we've got to do something because we can't let Steve one up us like this. It just can't happen. No. It's okay. Can't Steve's allow. a good guy. Hey, Steve. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Nothing personal, mind you. A lot of a lot of contact from listeners this week, uh, which is very very cool. Another uh, forums post uh, is from a listener who goes by the name Soccer Jock, uh, who is from Clearwater, Florida. Um, originally, I was going to read this entire posting, but it's a little bit long. It's a great story, um, uh, it, but it's a little bit long. We're running long tonight, so I'm not. But I'll just I'll just paraphrase it, which is to say that uh, he, he starts out by saying, "I'm a newbie pilot with about 120 uh, hours," and he said, "My better half and I decided it was time to take a vacation, living in the Tampa, Florida area." Jeb, all right, um, and they decided to go to Key West, and so he goes oh, on to, yeah, yeah. to tell a little about this, about his prep and how he'd uh, made his flight plan and reviewed it with his CFI uh, to make sure that everything was all set, and he had all his kind of routing and you know ATC contacts planned out in advance, and uh, and then they uh, uh, you know the day came and they were getting ready to fly down. He tells a fun one one fun little uh-huh. bit here is uh, he was with. Uh, 
uh, Cena. He says, as we walk through the door uh, of, of the FBO, suitcases in tow, I look back and say, here's where we go through security. I see Randy behind the desk, and I say, hi, Randy. He answers back, hi, Eric. I look back again and say, okay, security's done, and we walk out to the airplane, which is <laughs> great. It's like, there you go, general aviation, all right. Um, they jump into the airplane. Uh, they launch and, and head south. Uh, he talks a little bit about the flight down there. Uh, he talks about the very, very friendly um, uh, you know, greeting that he got from, uh, uh, I, I'm serious, I'm not being, uh, not being uh, sarcastic, uh, very, very friendly greeting he got from uh, the Navy approach folks and from the, uh, the Key West Air Fo- the Tower folks and uh, you know, landed uneventfully and, and spent their little vacation down there and, uh, and just is he was rightly so thrilled about uh, his ability to use his own personal airplane to, uh, to turn a seven-hour drive into a couple-hour flight. And, uh, and that's just awesome. He, and his, uh, his final line in this whole thing is, now that's why I learned to fly. Mm. And that's great. Ah, spectacular destination. You can't get much better from the floor oh, really? heading down to the Keys. It's a gorgeous flight down. You do see dramatic evidence on that little highway that you see part of the way of why it's so much better to fly than to drive. And James and Annie and I were there at the same time a few years ago. That's right. On our way to the Cayman, uh, on the way yeah. to the Cayman Islands. Yeah, many many a time I've I've gone down there. So a uh, wonderful destination and a spectacular uh, visual flight. Yep. So well, I got a kick out of Soccer Jock's follow up talking about watching the uh, final approach of aircraft to runway nine at Key West from the balcony of his. Uh, hotel room <laughs> it's a lot of fun yeah apparently there was a pretty good crosswind that day and they were kind of having some fun coming down final so uh, he had a great general aviation adventure down there and we thank him for sharing it with us it's kind of inspirational yeah. and uh, uh, that's 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 what it's all about exactly there you right. go man that's pretty terrific that's pretty terrific uh, we're getting, believe it or not, we're getting to the end of our little list here. Um, I, uh, David, what's the story with this "Let's Go Flying" uh, thing? Is this uh, I can, well? Get I get email pitches about this kind of story or that kind of story, or and one came today that kind of made me smile. Uh, it was sent on behalf of the "Let's Go Flying" program that AOPA started last fall. Uh, one of the pet projects of the new president, Craig Fuller. Uh, and, you know, it involves people telling stories of why they go fly. Well, what we just saw from Soccer Chalk would make a great Let's Go Flying story. This nice young lady sent me an email inviting me to participate in a, uh, a an arranged introductory flight of general aviation on behalf of uh, of uh, of the let's go flying folks um not knowing i'm sure my name came up on a database somewhere not knowing that i might have a little bit of air time and experience she was making a pitch to me for a program that's really geared to television reporters that don't have any background print reporters radio people so i sent her back a nice note saying uh you know i'd love an opportunity to go for a free flight but <laughs> i'd feel i'd feel guilty about this whole thing because uh, I've got a little background in it and then mentioned that maybe we could help our listeners could help her get the names of reporters at television stations, radio stations, newspapers uh, in their local area that might benefit from uh, an introductory flight arranged by the Let's Go Flying people. Hmm. So 
Nicole Lasorda is her name. Uh, the link to the Let's Go Flying program will be on our show notes, along with her email. Uh, she was fine with us putting her email in the in the notes too. Yeah, uh, and I'll put it on a post on the forums if I need to. But uh, all of the listeners out there, you can probably think of a reporter whose work you've read or seen or heard, where you kind of cringed or raised an eyeball and went or raised an eyebrow and went, uh, no. Uh, really, be nice if they knew what they were talking about. Well, here's your chance to get their name in the hands of people that will arrange for that kind of flight to help educate them. So she wants to hear directly from media people, or she wants people to send wants, her the names of media people? She wants our listeners to send her the names and contact information of media people in their home area, in okay. our listeners' home area, Great. that would benefit from a little uh, edumacation about general aviation. Yeah, great. And so uh, the email address is all of yeah, the email address is pretty easy. We'll put it in the show notes for sure, but it happens to be Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, at bartgill.com, B-A-R-T-G-I-L.com. Nicole at Bartgill.com. Oh, come on, man. Do it phonetically. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a great cause, and uh, I got a couple I can send her for sure, for sure. Uh, Say, uh, be, I just wanted earlier this week. I didn't have time to read, but then other people were talking about. It. Was there something going out in Montrose about TSA and some yeah, incredibly draconian some. efforts uh, they were making? It's so this um, is part of a nationwide policy change that they just use their own internal policy changing prerogatives to make. For years since they came into existence, uh, the uh, GA pilots who were based at or flew out of airports that also had commercial airline service were kind of allowed to operate as they always had as long as there was physical separation. As in maybe the GAs on one side of the airport and the airline stuff is on the complete opposite side of the runway. Uh, well, the TSA decided uh, a few months ago that that wasn't really safe for those airline people. And now all the GA people at any airport that has commercial service are going to have to be backgrounded and badged. Oh. And they came up with this just it, – it's unbelievable. It's so classic TSA, absolutely, totally stupid approach. Uh, where every airport's going to have to do their own and every badge is going to be different. That means that if you fly frequently between Airport B and Airport C and they both have airline service, the badge at one place won't work at the other. So you're going to have to go through this at both places. Otherwise, the option is for the airport operators or the FBOs to arrange for you to be escorted on the ramp everywhere you go by a similarly cleared and securitized FBO staffer. Hmm. Folks, this is uh, all about money. This is all about money, and it's about funneling money to the people who you must contract with by regulation to do the background investigations and do the audits and do all the other rigmarole. This is not about security. This is about funneling your money to a few favored companies, period. So what do we do about it? I think Sam we do away with the could have written a smarter piece of theater than this. 
we, yeah. we do away with uh, the TSA, and that's where we have to. That's our. That should be the ultimate objective here. They have not only outlived their usefulness, but they've uh, strayed from their charter, and they've gotten too big for their britches. And it's time to rein them in. Well, they, they just they they just sit and imagine new things that they can it's come up with. Salute that, mission that, creep. That may answer an imaginary threat that nobody has any idea of its relative right. reality. Well, well yeah, dream it's, stuff too. The NSA is making is cutting off David's line here because of uh, we could be here all, all right. night. We could be all here be here all night singing about the TSA. We better well, stop. You know, um, the, the, right now the good news is there's a whole lot of attention coming on TSA from Congress over the large aircraft security program. Mm-hmm. And there's a new sheriff in town in charge of the Department of Homeland Security who's already vowed to take a look and make sure that what they're doing makes sense for the money that they're spending. Now, of course, most of what the TS has been trying to do to us in general aviation is going to be funded by those of us in general aviation. But it's still costing them something to, you know, to to monitor the monitors and all that. So... Uh, there's a lot of attention coming to the TSA's mission creep and its ineffectiveness at some of its other mission segments. So yeah, yeah. Uh, this is going to go on uh, until you know something happens to arrest the insanity. Uh, I like the idea of getting rid of it, like Jeb said. Uh, you know, they were created to solve a problem that was based on a false. Uh, conclusion, right, right. The false conclusion being that the 9/11 terrorists somehow or another uh, managed to get past the existing security rules when they didn't have to. Yeah. The well, existing security rules let it happen, right. and uh, so we got the, one of the biggest expansions in the federal government in years with an agency that's really not too adept at doing what it's supposed to. Right. We're going we're to keep talking about this, but I think we've, that's enough for tonight. So let's. Uh, I'm let's, fine. Yes, that. yes, Dad. Yes, let's move along here. Uh, anybody got any shout-outs? Uh, to, to Will and Rico. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, Rico. Great, great. Yeah. Great spending time with them. Um, looks like they're going about this in the right way. Um, they, they've already got a lot of it done. Uh, they, they need to do some more. They need some, some support. And, uh, um, you know, if, if you care about this sort of thing, um, let them know. Yep. Great. I couldn't agree more. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. I, I second that. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to an odd, odd outfit, the Wichita City Council which uh, a couple of days mm-hmm. ago issued a resolution uh, calling and, and, and an invitation to President Barack Obama. Uh, the resolution called on politicians to stop denigrating private aviation uh, as a way to flog people that were stupid in the financial world, uh, that there's too many people that make an honest living, making honest use of honest airplanes. And they invited President Obama to town to see the industry that that use contribution to the U.S. economy support. So, um, tip of the wing, tip from me to the Wichita City Council. Yeah, yeah, that's great. and and a very very smart uh, move on their part, uh, and uh, they should really work him to get out there and do this. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. And it wouldn't uh, hurt because this is enemy territory. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Anybody else? Any other shout-outs? 
All Warren right. Buffett had some nice things to say about uh, business aircraft, too. Of course, he owns, he owns uh, NetJets. He <laughs> owns, owns NetJets net and Flight Safety. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. So he's a little conflicted, but I agree with him. But so. I, think his, I think his heart and his money are in the right place. That's right. That's right. I don't think conflicted. I think he's there because he knows it's smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, James Winbrandt. Is an author and an aviation journalist and a Mooney owner and musician and all sorts of amazing things. Uh, James, you still have no internet presence though. No place we can send people, huh? Uh, I guess. I guess not. It's uh. <laughs> okay. It's all right. Man, tell he's worried about that too. But you Google his name or look him up in Amazon, and uh, you're going to find a lot of really fun things that James is. Uh, has Google been. Google did. His dentistry history. Yeah, that's right. I'm going. By the way, I'm going to be speaking at Harvard on that. No, get out of here. Yeah. Really? Get out. In, in June, they invited me to come yeah. and speak. Yeah. Uh, early June. All right. Well, man, I hope they drill you good. Let's, let's get. <laughs> let's put our calendars side by side and make sure we drink a beer together while you're in town. Absolutely. All right. Will you yeah. be filling time? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. James, thanks for joining us. We always love well, it. Thank when you're you able. always. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks, James. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? Find me, my day job anyway, is uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, I am going to, this weekend, get my personal website fixed and back online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that will be J-E, or still is, JEBurnside.com. And then uh, every now and then I pop up on uh, on AvWeb. I've, I've just been handed another project that will be a video that will appear on AvWeb. So ah. it will be several weeks uh, until that's ready to go live. But uh, uh, one, one other thing, too. Close up, Mr. Burnside. <laughs> yeah, right. One, one, other, one other thing really quickly. Yeah. Um, looking at trying to do a Southeast U.S. meetup. Ooh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the weekend after Easter. Easter is April 12, the weekend of 1819 April, somewhere in the southeast. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, real close to me, uh, Venice, Florida, but it doesn't have to be uh, that far down the peninsula. Uh, I don't know that minute that much about restaurants in South Georgia, uh, the Panhandle, or Central North Central Florida. But uh, I'm more than willing to fly in if some other people are, or uh, if it's just a Tampa Bay area kind of thing, we can uh, uh, we can drive and save the ab gas. But uh, well, that sounds great. Yeah, you know, so I'm going to you know, aim for that that weekend. Course. Somebody pick uh, you know Saturday morning or or Sunday morning, whatever works best for most people, and uh, we'll do it. Okay, listeners who you know uh, that's the weekend before and fun, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that is the weekend before Sun and Fun. That's yeah. correct. So, listeners who are interested in maybe getting in, getting together with Jeb and some other listeners uh, that weekend, you should either send an email to uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace dot com or uh, do a posting in the forums and let us know what your ideas are. That's awesome. And, yeah. and James, you need to get down here. I know. Yeah. I know. Definitely. Yeah. David, yes. David, David Higdon is a uh, is an aviation jur- uh, photographer, also an aviation journalist, and he's the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Where can people find you on the internet these days, Dave? Oh, aea.net, avbiocom, davehigdon.biz, or uncontrolledairspace.com. I, I hit touch base at from site just to keep up now. Pretty much every day. So, yeah, yeah Dave. Somebody more- wants to. 
mean, that's a good place to post a message or send a private message through the forums. Yeah, Dave, you're more you're more uh, more active in the forums these days than I am, and uh, and I used to be pretty active. So it's great to to see you there. Thank you. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can find me on the internet at uh, jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, a, a big thanks uh, to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Also, a big thanks to Jeff for uh, doing a lot of the research to find the location and uh, and in sort of general area for our uh, our the meetup that we're going to do. So, uh, thanks to Jeff for all the things he's doing for the podcast. Also, thanks to our many listeners uh, and to particularly to uh, Mike Morgan and Royce Earl for the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog. You can view the forums where Dave's doing a lot of writing. You can check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. That's all at uncontrolledairspace.com. So anyways, David, what were you going to say? I was going to say, if you want to live longer, go flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's right. Well, that's enough talking for tonight. Let's go flying. <laughs>